If you don't read the newspaper, you're uninformed. If you do read it, you're misinformed. Mm -hmm. So what do you do? That's the great question. What is the long-term effect of too much information? Hello, Forum. Hello. Welcome back to the Wine Jar Cynics. Today is October 27th, 27th right? 27th, Tuesday. Wow. It's almost, almost Halloween. Spooky time. Um, last episode, we talked about the follower of Diogenes. So today's episode seven, lucky number. We're talking about the first Stoic slash Cynic, the most fa- famous pupil of uh, Crates, which we also talked about in uh, the other episode. So this is kind of the last episode in the Successions mini-arc. So I guess we want to thank the, all of the listeners and this project so far. Uh, much love to our 50 listeners from different areas of the world. We had uh, I saw Ameri- mostly Americans, but then Latin Americans, Europeans, and even some Japanese viewers. So that's pretty crazy. Um, yeah, I know, I know they're saying uh, YouTube, but I'm going to say it anyway. Please make sure to comment, share, and hit the bell. Figuratively speaking, of course, because it's a podcast. Uh, we're on social media and other podcasting platforms, including Spotify. So let's start with today's epigraph. Um, honorary, this is episode seven, lucky number. I'm going to give two quotes for whoever's um, ep- who's ever given the uh, ep- epigraph. So first one, it's, it is not death that a man should fear, but he should not fear, but he should fear Never beginning to live. Marcus Aurelian, Aurelius, Meditations. Epigraph 2. Do not act as if you were going to live 10,000 years. Death hangs over you. While you live, while it is in your power, be good. Marcus Aurelius. So, I, I'm going to have a little, guess, kind of throwback and recap to the last um Kind of post discussion we had. Remember, we were talking about uh, Marcus Aurelius. Funny enough, yes, it was super. I mean, we obviously got to dedicate a whole episode to these peoples. Everybody in successions because we kind of glanced over them. It's more about them in the role of the cynic tradition of the kind of the post Socratic people. So they deserve their own deep dive. But I mean, that's kind of something we got to do later because we're focusing on other stuff after this. Probably gonna. And that's uh, an episode where we're going to talk to Mac, kind of dabble in a bit of Chinese philosophy. Yeah, we will have a very special guest coming up, Return of the Mac. But uh, anyway, yeah, Marcus Aurelius, we were talking about him uh, because, I mean, he's, if it wasn't for cynicism, then there wouldn't be any stoicism. If there wasn't any stoicism, then who knows what kind of a ruler Marcus Aurelius would have been, right? Because we know that when he was uh, young, he had a private tutor who was uh, uh, definitely like Stoicism, you know. That's why he's su- such a famous Stoic. So that's funny thinking about that. So that's why I named this episode, you know, uh, before Marcus Aurelius, right? Because this is the first Stoic, right? So it makes sense if, if people were wondering. We're not going to end up talking about uh, Marcus Aurelius completely, though. We're just going to talk about mostly Zeno of Sin- uh, Zeno of Sidium, so Zeno the Cynic. And probably, probably people who like Stoicism, they're like, wait a minute, he's not a Cynic, he's a Stoic. But one has to understand that he's first first and foremost a Cynic. 
He was raised. That's the first philosophy he dabbled in. Uh, well, that's, I, I think for the most part, that's the most influential one because obviously Creative Thieves was his teacher, right? His first philosophy teacher uh, who, or I guess like role model in philosophy that inspired him. So that's why it's called Before Marcus Aurelius. Because eventually we'll get to him. We'll get. We'll probably eventually get to talking more deeply about uh, cynicism, like the kinismus and cynismus, which is the germ. You know, that's the German terminology, which kind of makes sense. You know, kinicism versus cynicism, right? Because, like we talked about before, the kinicism is you know the traditional cynicism we've been talking about, the classical cynicism. Then the cynicism is what philosophers call it um, more in lines with Machiavellianism, mm-hmm. right? That's the, that's what the, the great diverge, why people see cynicism as um, so negatively, right? Or really negative cause, now. M- yeah. because of Machiavelli, really. And he was, well, we're not going to end up talking about that, but that's like the future um, stuff we want to kind of tease, you know, so people have something to look forward to eventually. You know what I mean? So I'm going to have to thank Marcus Aurelius for giving us clout. All right, so let's begin. So, by the way, I'm putting watermarks, so all this, if people don't like fluff or recaps or anything, they can go straight to the episode. So, um, Zeno was born in 335 BCE. Zeno was not Athenian, but he was the son of a merchant, Emnaseas, from Sidium, which is modern-day Cyprus. Sirium, although at one point a colony of Greece, its language and institutions were still Phoenician, and maybe the population as well. Why, right? Uh, Zeno was called Phoenician by his contemporary contemporaries, but Greek still would have been important in his time, right? And and by the way, it's important that we know he's Phoenician because, right? We were talking about how he's kind of the, we're he's the philosopher of color, right? If anyone likes that, uh. That progressive stuff. Yeah, it's very progressive. Um, Zeno, he was he was. Uh, they t- always talk about him being a dark skinned philosopher and used to love to bathe in the sun, stuff like that. Is there any connection between Zeno and xenophobia? Well, Zeno here it's spelled the Z, and then when it, we're talking about xenophobia, it's with an X. Yeah, it is with an X. Yeah. So I'm not sure. I'm not really well versed on like Greek linguistics, but definitely we should have someone on who is well versed on like. Link Greek linguistics or something like that, because you know I want to talk about um, language learning, right? And that's something we probably will talk about in uh, episode eight. You know, because this I, I want to consider this kind of like a practical philosophy show, rather than just talk about philosophy. We we just also actively kind of do it and have the Socratic dialogue and stuff like that. So definitely, yeah. I know I like teasing uh, uh, future episodes, but I want people to. Be excited, you know? And, yeah, I don't think so, though. Zeno's just a name. Zeno Zeno means different. I think it means foreigner or alien. So that xenophobia means um, a fear of the stranger. Does Zeno come from Greek? Yeah. Zeno is, yeah. And they're pronounced the same? It's weird because some Greek words are pronounced very similar even though they're different because it depends on... uh, well, I'm talking about modern Greek. So maybe it's just a coincidence. Uh-huh, yeah. I, th- I mean, sometimes they j- the spelling just changes over time. Yeah, the spelling. Because mm-hmm. it used to have a... At least, 
I don't want to make this a like a Greek episode. We're talking about the Greek language and stuff. But yeah, there was definitely some letters before in classical times. That's what they call it, like coin. Don't quote me on this because I don't know it too. I have a very shallow um, understanding of that. But yeah, the letters change and stuff. Um, Zeno's father, from what I, what, what I read, by the way, I don't know if this is true, but. Zeno's father was said to have brought some home from Socratic books from Athens, which fired the young man's imaginations. So, like I said, take it with a grain of salt because it sounds like they're also trying, trying to link it up, link themselves up with Socrates, right? And we talked about that in the other episodes. Maybe true, but he was definitely popular at the time, so it wouldn't be that weird to have like Socrates books. But anyway, it's their Ben Trovato. Probably stories, but, you know, they're plausible, I guess. Um, but this anecdote, one at least has a certain plausibility. Of, of, of all the kind of anecdotes about Zeno, probably this one has merit, I think, at the same time. Because there is a pupil whose name was Perseus, who he shared a house. And he talked about this, I think. So apparently, uh, by the way, also, at age 22, a young Zeno came to Athens around 312 or 311 BC. He was said to be fairly tall and very skinny. And they used to have like a nickname from him, for him, what, what I, from what I heard, like a Egyptian, Egyptian like trunk or something. Because I guess he was super skinny. Just because of his body type? I thought yeah. it was like his nose, maybe. No, he was like super skinny. Like he apparently had skinny legs and he was like kind of like lanky. Kind of sort of tall, and he had obviously like a Semitic look. You know, he was, was the trunk like elephant trunk, <laughs> out of the trunk of a tree. Like it's like very thin, thin trunk. Oh, trunk of a tree. Some I forgot what the actual nickname was, but something to do with him be, or like an Egyptian weed. I think it was an Egyptian weed. Like he was just super skinny. You know, Greeks are they're good at trolling, man. They love making fun of people. But I, I heard from what I heard, the age was actually thirty when he went to Athens. But maybe I'm wrong. Um. Anyway, that's why we have forum, right? They can check it up on there. Are you checking that up? I just want to double check something really quickly. Jamie, <laughs> should we should have a, a designated uh, fact checker here? But you guys are big boys and big girls, so you can check it check it yourself. But um, I have some sources down below. But check those out. This is where I get the information from my from the the bottom sources. Any anyway, um, because there's a story along the lines. The, so remember the cynic stories. Like there's a lot of secondary secondhand information and intermediary, and intermediary sources, right? So this is what I heard that the, apparently the way this is like the most famous story. By the way, it's very important, and I talked to you about this. I think uh, off off the books when we weren't like podcasting, but uh, there's a story along the lines that Zeno was carrying a batch of Phoenician purple dye, Tyrian purple, right? Um, you know, the richest, darker shade of purple that the rich Greeks and the Roman emperors would wear. So apparently he had a shipwreck and then he would, before he, he reached Athens. So if that was the case, you know, that's from, that's the story I heard. And I think it was from Diogenes Laertius. So that's a big deal, right? It's like imagine if you're um let me think about it. What's a good analogy? Even though not I don't think analogies are good, but I'm gonna use one anyway. Um 
So imagine you're you got a bunch of iPhones and you're just delivering them and you just lose them all, right? It's a big deal, right? I mean, I think purple dye was like super expensive, right? You're like a drug dealer and you lose your exactly your shipment. <laughs> you lose your shipment. It's you'd probably be pretty um, void and hollow, and that's probably. Because, I mean, yeah, he probably expensive. He had to purchase it and he's reselling it, right? Yeah, exactly. So you're pretty much, and it's rare too. From even at that time, I think now that um, little purple snail that they used to extract the uh, liquid from from its guts, the uh, it was um, I think by that. By that time, it was still rare. That's why it was so expensive. It was like a very specific um, Mediterranean snail. Now they're extinct, mm-hmm. right? I think only like a few hundred... I think in chemistry class, I learned this, that uh, only 200 years ago, we were able to make um, synthetic, synthetic purple dye that was very similar to um, cherry and purple. So it's crazy. Throughout all this time, that's how sought, sought after it was, this purple dye. But I don't know if it was purple dye. It could have been beans for all I know, right? Goya beans. Oh, Go- that was actually on the ship? Yeah, I don't know. I, I heard from one different story and account that it was purple dye, and in the other ones it doesn't really say anything. So people form can fact check that. But it, if that is the case, though, if it was purple, then yeah, I would be... Yeah, you're essentially losing gold at that point. So that's pretty freaking crazy. Um so there is another act- anecdote that he sat down by a bookseller who was reading aloud from the book two book of Xenophon's reminiscences, reminiscences t- tongue twister of Socrates. So it's called memorabilia, right? He asked where men of that kind can be found to the bookseller, right? And the guy's like, out there. And apparently that's how he met crates of Thebes. He's just like, yep, he's outside. There you go. That's Socrates walking out there. Because, you know, I'm not sure about this. It's Right? Treat it as a story if you... It could be true, but I think it's, re- I think it's relevant to add just for allegory, right? Because, you know, he... It shows that creates of Thieves with somebody who you could just find. Like, anybody could talk to him and just learn philosophy. Just walking out there. I mean, now you have to pay people, right? It's like you just find philosophers walking out and greet and... Our city, yeah. If it, like a lot of these stories feel like made up, <laughs> feel like Greek mythology stories. You know, where it's yeah, kinda, it's a little it feels like a story. It's a little, which yeah. I guess you could say means <laughs> it feels like it's made up. But yeah, you're being cynical. But yeah, no, it makes. I, but there's another story about this too. I heard that he consulted an oracle, and this is according to Diogenes Laertius, DL, right? That he consulted an oracle, and it's like, yeah, again, another oracle. How many people have went to oracle? Socrates went to an oracle. Alexander the Great went to an oracle. Diogenes went to an oracle. This is kind of becoming a meme now. Everybody just goes to an oracle. You know, funny enough, off topic, right? Um, I, always, I really want to go to an oracle, funny enough. I know we talked about this in episode one, we were taught in uh, Moonstricken, right? About that per, uh, oracles and uh, dreams coming true and all that. Mm-hmm. There's an actual scientific term for that. I forgot what it's called, though. It's But the premonitions becoming reality from dreams, like it's an actual phenomenon. Oh, yeah, I've heard stories. Uh, let me look it up, actually, before we move on. I'm gonna look Because I know I had it on my um, my phone. Give me a second. Let's see, I'll see if I can find it first. Premonition. 
Yeah, because, I mean, first episode was, um, man, that was a long episode, almost three hours, but, yeah. Oh, it's called um, Oneiromancy. Oneiromancy, the Greek Oneros, dreams, and Mantea, prophecy, is a form of divination based upon dreams and also uses dreams to predict the future. Onerogen drugs may also be used to produce or enhance dreamlike states of consciousness, and it is dismissed by the scientific community and skeptics as being superstitious. I also believe that it's superstitious, but the I don't want to make this an episode on dreams and stuff, right? Because that was kind of episode one. We were talking about that kind of stuff. But, I mean, dreams usually happen because of patterns, right? It's a way of um, allocating information in the brain, right? So, some you know subconsciously don't take my word for it that's just my interpretation so there's a certain like if you like i was telling you about in the first episode right i had dreams of of um i was very stressed out at the time right and then i had dreams of people invading my house and stuff like that so and it tur- and I think it's because my neighbors are kind of like sketchy, right? So there is some truth to it, right? Because if you have a paranoia while you're awake, what, were, what and, was happening when they invaded your house? Oh, um, I remember that um, they they just I think they were just robbing, and then I would uh, come out from like the my bedroom bedroom window and then roll down somehow, and then <laughs> and then. <laughs> So wait, no, I, wait, wait, you were just home alone. Home alone, yeah. So okay. I could hear them downstairs coming, and they had uh, different. I have different interp- uh, versions of this dream, but very similar. So someone's in my house; they're not unwanted, obviously. I'm upstairs. I hear them, and then I'm trying to escape through the window, so you know nothing happens to me. I don't get stabbed or shot, or whatever, right? And then I go down. Either something, either I just like knock them out or something, or run away. But my my house has been. You go outside, or you like? I go escape to the inside. I escape through my win- my bedroom window, it's directly outside. Yeah, yeah, directly outside, and then I kind of like, I don't know, pole vault and go down and some crazy dream shit. But no, it's possible. It's how not that you, high. How do you knock them out? You go back in? No, but um, like I guess some there's a bunch of them, right? So some are inside, and then one is like by the by my window below for some reason. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. We do this <laughs> exactly. And then he's just like waiting for you. He's like waiting for me. Just for, it's like a video game almost. <laughs> but they have robbed my house before. But that was yeah before that dream. But then after that, I start hard, started having those kind of dreams. Your house has been robbed one time only. They broke in. Yeah, but it was a, for a dumb reason. My dad left the door open. And just left the library. He just left it. <laughs> the, but I mean, your your community's safe. That would never happen. Oh, and there's just like no cars there or something. No, no cars. I think. Ah, so Every, they're just like, oh, yeah. They took their their advantage. I don't think that would happen here, right? Your in your community. The thing is, is it would have had to have been one of your neighbors. Exactly, it would have had to have been. Cause, you, you hear that? Oh, the oh my god! This place is haunted by ghosts. I hear some weird like, yeah, the static. You hear it? I think it's your um. Maybe it's that. Maybe. Well, let me. Technical difficulties. Let me just. It. I think. Okay. Just stop. Oh, yeah. 
I don't think they'll hear that though. It's better now. Yeah, yeah. I don't think they'll hear that though. But I think it's maybe that. Who knows? But yeah, because you're in the type of neighborhood though where people don't just walk through there. Yeah, exactly. I think it was an it was a neighbor, and I'm thinking. So pretty much what I'm saying is that I mean dreams are totally not like there is something there. Wait, so you you had this dream before this happened? No, no, no. After. After. Obviously, right? So, I'm just saying that whatever you dream, there is something to it, right? It is probably, um, I mean, if, you, if you're stressed out and you think enough about it, you might dream, about, you're probably going to dream about it, mm-hmm. right? So, that's what I'm saying, that there's probably something to it that if you are thinking something and there's that self-fulfilling prophecy uh, thing going on, maybe it seems almost divine, that's more my way of trying to explain it. It's funny because we're talking about oracles now, but um, let's let's go on the ne- let's just uh, continue. But that's something I was interested in. It's almost metaphysical. Yeah, it's funny because cynics hate that shit. <laughs> like, huh? Bobby, you being crazy? No, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah. So we talked about crates of Thebes last episode, right? In episode six, so that's the reason why this, like, again, this episode's called the Zeno the Cynic because you know Zeno started off as a cynic, not a stoic. He later he he kind of molds these cynic ideas into the stoic philosophy, so it's kind of like preserved this, the good part of cynicism in the stoic philosophy. So, uh, yeah, obviously take take a grain of salt for, with some some of these stories, especially this. The books, uh, when he went to the bookstore and the shipwreck. If you want to know more about it, go on Diogenes Laertius. He talks about it in his Eminent Philosophers. So, um, the biggest evidence that Zeno was largely influenced by Crates. You know, Crates the cynic. We talked about him. He's the they uh, nicknamed him the door opener because everybody loved him and let him in his house and stuff. So eventually, Zeno wrote the fir- his first book called. Um, it was titled The Republic. LOL. Sorry, I thought that was funny because so many people write about the Republic. Weren't we talking about this in one of the episodes? So we had... Um, Diogenes was said to have written about a Republic, right? And those uh, there's no evidence of that because there's the lost works, but it was referred... They referred to it in Diogenes DL, right? In DL's books, he's like, that Diogenes may or may have not written some books. We'll never know. But it's funny because Plato also wrote about a republic, and Socrates was also obsessed with the republic too, right? Because I think he didn't like demagoguery, right? Demagoguery is something that is... I don't remember him saying it's inherent, but it is a problem of democracy, right? And remember that? And then we talked about uh, direct democracy. Yeah, yeah. And then apparently direct democracy exists in, um, in Switzerland, from what I heard. They still vote. And you were talking about it. You were asking me that. How how do they vote? I know it's off topic, but hey, it's our show. Deal with it. <laughs> yeah, the system you were mentioning, which yeah, I remember I had some so they they about like it. they they propose amendments. So they that's how they technically they it's a direct democracy in the sense that they can propose to make new amendments or add new amendments or or edit them or something like that. Uh, Which are voted on by everyone? Yeah. 
something like something of that sort. But it, that's what they they pride themselves, the Swiss, that they have the truest democracy. But also they have a small population too, very homogenous too, from what I heard, right? Um, another they've got homogenous in the sense that everybody's unified by their Swiss uh, identity, meaning that they're in Switzerland. Kind of that. Do you agree with that? I don't know too much about that. I really don't. I think they're... But they like, there is one uniting social fabric of Swiss identity. It's not language. It's something else. Forgot what it is, but they all... Yeah, pi- I don't think there's any issue between the different groups. That yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what is interesting, uh, interesting about Switzerland. So they have Germans, Italian. the largest Italians, and they have French. French, and then they have a very specific language group called um, Romanish, something like that. It's like a mixture between like Latin and um, German Germanic language. Very weird, like in the middle. Roma Romash, that's what they call it. Romash, very small population. So they still have like a, they're still able to have like their Swiss identity. I, that's something we have to look more into. I think that was interesting, and they also they're pretty apparently like pretty like pro. Maybe it's military service because all the men have to serve in the military, so they all get their Swiss pride from. Serving the military and being a defensive force. That's what I, that's my interpretation. We can talk to somebody Swiss because this is something that was interesting. Yeah, I, th- I think there's definitely something to that to have like mandatory military service. It's probably just in Korea, guys in too. Korea, Korea too. they have it as well. Russia too. Yeah, and they all seem to be, they have like they don't every. Every Russian, Korean, or... I haven't met many Swiss, but I met a few. But they all have a unifying concept. Despite their their culture being a little bit more... Um, se- separated by different languages and, and ge- geography and stuff like that. So that was interesting to me. There's got to be some benefits to it. So maybe it is that. Don't quote me on that, but... Yeah, but I, I bring this up just because they always talk... S- it seems that re- re- the republic was something that they really hold on to. These um, eminent philosophers, so Socrates, Plato, there's something to it. They believe that that was a better system. I don't know why they believe that because I, I haven't read that Plato's Republic in a while. Have you read it, Plato's Republic? I haven't, no. So anyway, let's move on. Um, yeah, so Zeno, when he wrote his first book, um, he said that he was backing up the dog. Apparently, he said this, meaning that he referencing. had a, referencing maybe crates, like maybe he have crates had also believed in the republic because maybe Diogenes did and Socrates some some kind of passing down of this knowledge or affinity towards the republic or republicanism, right? And that may have influenced Zeno into writing in this book. My opinion, right? Um, yeah, and you, everybody knows, right? We never shut up about this, right? We talk about cynics being cynic means dog, canine, hound. So, I'm I'm thinking maybe it's leaning towards canine, right? Cause for some reason, it sounds more similar to canine, kinikos, canine, kinikos, because it starts with a. Yeah, I, I'm not too sure about the etymology of how. Yeah, that's something we should talk came, about with somebody who knows coin, coin Greek or older Greek. But yeah, it, I mean, it 
Wouldn't be surprised. But whatever, they're all dog like. Either it's hound, canine, dog, right? Doesn't matter. But um I'm curious about the falling out with crates, right? Because we know that crates was a big influence in the life of Zeno, right? But then eventually, you know, Zeno ends up doing his own thing, right? So I don't want to focus too much on that because we're talking about Zeno. Well, we are talking about Zeno as a cynic, but it's not. In my opinion, it's not that important, right? I mean, people grow grow out of certain philosophies or ideas, right? Sometimes it's funny because my dad used to be a communist when he was young. <laughs> apparently, he was like super hardcore communist when he was young. He apparently he just told me, "Yeah, I just grew out of it." Just at what point? <laughs> it's just. I think he was like seventeen when when he believed in that. Sixteen or seventeen. And then when he when he left his country and he went to Brazil, I think, and he started actually working, I think that's when he actually said, yeah, I'm not really a communist anymore. Or maybe when he came to the U.S. But he was young. He he stopped being a communist probably around, like, I'd have to ask him. Maybe, I don't know, he left at 17. He maybe 20-something, 23, 24, when he had real-world experience. That's what he told me. Not trying to shit on the communists, at least not yet. Right? But, um, yeah, people just grow out of certain philosophies, right? Oh, you hear it again? Why? Oh, maybe it's my, um... Hmm, I hear that too. Is that super long, that cable? The This is the same just headphone cable. Hmm, weird. Because when you move it, it's like... Yeah. It sounds like a teapot. It, it's funny because... Forum. It sounds like a teapot um, going... You know, yeah. like, it's crazy. Nice. If they hear that, that's going to be awkward. Hey, but if they love this enough, they'll they'll deal with it, right? Interesting. It might be just something in the settings that needs to be adjusted with a new mic. Okay, so... I will comment on the on the falling out of crates and Zeno because I think I heard stories. I don't know if I can I can't really back these up, but I've I've read them. I think it was Diogenes Laertius that apparently Zeno was um was ashamed of wanting to learn of of the shamelessness aspect of cynicism. So maybe that was why Stoicism. I know Stoicism does not put an emphasis on that compared to everything. So maybe it could have been that. Certain things about cynicism is not really so palatable for uh, different philosophies. So I'm thinking that... Yeah, I'm thinking... Oh, by the way, I think it's those, yeah. I think when you turn those down, those knobs, it stops them. It's better. Yeah, because I just... Yeah, because... The other ones to zero. Yeah. You can still hear fine, right? Yeah, yeah, I hear fine. But anyway, I think this falling out with um, Crazy's Paul because some of the stuff that you learn in cynicism is kind of, it's rated R. I mean, this is kind of a rated R philosophy. You're, because, you know, you're supposed to be shameless and live in accordance with nature. And, you know, what is that, right? Whatever a dog, Dogenes was said to have said, whatever a dog can do in, in, in public, a human should be able to do in public. So peeing and pooping and masturbating and, and having sex like Crazy's Thief with his, uh, his girl Hipparchia. And then Sextus Empiricus comes in. Yeah, Sextus Empiricus. That's my name. <laughs> right? So it's a rated R philosophy, and I don't think it's palatable. And uh, 
at least the description of Zeno was I heard like kind of more shy. According to Creative Thebes, they called him shy, my shy little Phoenician. Apparently he was he said that about Zeno. So yeah, for some people it's like I think it's a rated R philosophy and I think not everybody can follow that. Even the satire part, even the, the wandering and traveling part. You get what I mean? Oh, I think there's only certain aspects you can probably adopt. That's why I wouldn't call ourselves cynics. I wouldn't call ourselves cynics, old cynicism, or the new cynics either, like the more Machiavellian, modern, kind of misanthropic cynics, right? So that's something we'd want to do too as well, like kind of rebranding it or, or understanding how to synthesize it and make it not a new philosophy, but making it more palatable for people. Because I think, yeah, Zeno probably didn't... There was definitely some disagreements with some stuff. I think even the satire part, some people's person, And we were talking about this in the other episode, like personality-wise. Some people are just not that into satire, right? And, and a key tenet to being a good cynic is to be a dog, right? Which is shameless and different and being a watchdog, right? Guarding your philosophies very violently and barking at your enemies, hounding them on their errors. The watchdog to morality and logic, right? And living in accordance with nature. Um, that's pretty intense. I don't think it's, I think it's not for the faint of heart. I think it really, that would probably be applicable, uh, some of that stuff, depending on the circumstances of certain people and personalities. Some people also, you know, cynicism tends to be for people who are very independent. Because it's all about self-sufficiency, right? And freedom. I think for some people that scares them. Right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so I think it's definitely a philosophy not for everybody. And I don't. And I think maybe for some people it might be a little bit sanctimonious to call themselves watchdogs of morality and logic and stuff like that. They want to use philosophy. Everybody learns philosophy for different reasons. So some people I think do it just for fun, for as a luxury, or they do it because of the actual process of it is useful for something they do maybe for for um, writing good stories, using philosophy for that. It just depends on everybody, right? I think stoicism is more universal, in my opinion. Cynicism is not is for a certain type of people, right? But anyway, um. That's my opinion on the falling out. There's some kind of uh, backlash. But it, it is just, it's a, an extreme philosophy in a lot of ways, and it's lacking balance in a lot of ways. And it's and yeah, it's also extreme, and yeah, they think they've figured out everything. So, whereas Stoicism, they're like, hmm, you know, the basis of Stoicism is, and we're going to talk about this, but not too much in depth, you know, the egg, right? There's lo- uh, the outer shell of the egg is... I think it's physics. Oh, I forgot this already. There's the physics aspect of stoicism. There's the logic and the ethics. So it's like an egg. And it's a different part of the egg. You correspond to different aspects of of, uh, stoicism. So it's more, I guess it's a little bit more welcoming a bit compared to cynicism, right? Because remember, they guard their philosophy, you know, from people who might want to pervert it or whatever, things like that. But uh, what's your opinion on that? What do you think probably stops Zeno from being a um, a, a cynic and he's more stoic? I think, yeah, pe- naturally there's a balance in people's personalities, characteristics, and he just didn't 
fit into it. And if you don't fit into it, that's a hard thing to like mm-hmm. force yourself to pursue. He definitely liked some of it though, because I know the def- idea. The you ethics. like the ideas mm-hmm. and the yeah. ethics behind it, but not want to follow through on some of the yeah, like have, having sex in public, <laughs> that kind of stuff. Having banging your wife in public. <laughs> I mean, I, I know if back then or living in the wine jar, stuff like that. Yeah, it just like makes you uncomfortable for whatever reason. It makes you uncomfortable, so. Like I won't uh, lean away from that sort of stuff, but kind of still take into consideration and apply some of the other ideas that it presents. And it's funny because apparently there is a story where um, Crates had gave him like a bowl of lentils. I don't know if it's true either, but I think it's Dio who said this, who wrote about it, that he was um, he had like a bowl of lentils and he was like embarrassed or something to eat it in front of people. Because it's kind of rude, you know, taking out food and, like, slurping on a big bowl of lentils that are outside with everybody seeing you. Right? And apparently he, like, hid it under his cloak. or th- That's what I heard. And then, like, Crates got mad because he was being, like, how do I say it? Like, oh, you're embarrassed? You shouldn't be embarrassed. And he just, like, s- broke the, the lentil bowl and it, like, dripped all over his skinny legs. And he was super embarrassed. If that's true, then it would make sense. Probably traumatized. But, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's like, screw this. Right. And then also, um, there's another funny um, anecdote that apparently he wanted to learn physics, right? I think he wanted to go to some kind of academy and he went to a class and he like, he went in there. Like, what are you doing, boy? Just grabbed him out. My little Phoenician. And he just like, he didn't want him to go learn stuff because it's like, cynics think that you they've already figured everything out right we guess what you don't have to do all that stuff live in accordance with nature live like a dog go live in a wine jar you don't have to learn this stuff this is only yeah so maybe it's just like that phenomenon where like the parent versus Mm -hmm. the child kind of rejecting that control you have things you're interested in you want to reject who your parents are telling you what to do i feel it kind of Explore different ideas that are forbidden, so to speak. Just wanna got any stories of that? <laughs> not, no, no, not really. Yeah, Just being stubborn in general. Yeah, no, but I, I get it. But if that story, that would be hilarious. Maybe that's why he, he he incorporated the physics part because he's just like, yeah, screw you. I'm gonna do my own philosophy. I can do what I want. I can do. Remember South Park? I do what I want. Pretty much. Right. Um. Uh, it's just human nature to want to yeah exactly exactly so yeah it's kind of it's weird in accordance with nature but going against human nature it's weird that's what i'm saying that it's kind of a paradoxical because you want to be free but not but freedom means different things for different people right maybe i want to be free to go study physics right but he's just saying no he want when cynics talk about freedom it's mostly like freedom from society itself and autonomy from society and not participating too much in society right but but cynics eventually they evolved too after that it's the these cynics that we're talking about the notable founding fathers they were the they're the founding fathers because they were extreme the other ones that were like there were a lot of other cynics in rome and the renaissance that were just like more a lot more washed down and that they're not interesting enough, so that's why you don't know about them. You don't know about all these other satirists and 
uh, cynic writers and poets and orators because we mostly focus on the ones that are really crazy. Crates of Thebes, Diogenes, and other other eminent ones. You get what I mean? They're the outliers. Yeah. I, I mean, a, lo- a lot of that stuff, like, definitely people follow that philosophy today, maybe without even knowing or Subconsciously, it. right? Subconsciously. There's definitely figures out there, notable figures who are playing the role of watchdog, kind of, but minus <laughs> minus the homelessness, minus the shamelessness. Yeah, yeah. Is minus all that, but just still following the, I want to say the core tenets. Like, don't quote me on this. I have to research this a little bit more. But apparently, some of the people in during Julius Caesar's times were cynics, from what I heard. Some of, well, there were some notable cynics that plotted against Julius Caesar. So they believed they were the watchdog of morality, and that's why they killed him. And they were inspired by, yeah, these ideas of the watchdog morality, and hmm, he is not protecting the republic, and therefore we should assassinate. I, I don't know if that's true, but I, I remember reading about this. Because, you know, there is, it's, it's a huge, it's a long list of, uh, of the history, of, you know, 2,000 years worth of history, and um, there were definitely some little philosophers that, even if they weren't cynics themselves, they were inspired by some cynic ideas indirectly, maybe subconsciously, like you were saying. But um, definitely. Um, anyway, let's move on a little bit from kind of transitioning towards a little bit more stoicism. It's not that, that exaggerated exhibitionist cynicism. It's more like regular kind of sto- philosophy slash stoicism. But um, oh oh yeah, and you would. That's just one thing that the author of this stoicism book, right? A night from 1975. Really good, by the way. If you want to learn about the history of Stoicism and a little bit more about Zeno and um, in depth, they talk about um, cynicism being... They kind of don't trash on cynicism, but they say that it's not a real philosophy. That's They kind of tease that idea that it's more like isolated principles. And that's probably one of the reasons why um, Zeno was more interested in um, l- learning other philosophies. Because cynicism is like, the principles are kind of isolated. It's not very systemic. You get what I mean? Like for, for other philosophies, there is a school. There is a doctrine. There is dogma. It's very sim- uh, systematic, bureaucratic. Do you know what I mean? Whereas cynicism, it's very different for different people. It's kind of like these, sometimes they follow one isolated pr- principle rather than a whole system of, of cynicism. You get what I mean? You mean today or even back then? Even back then, yeah. Like some people do more satire. That's a cynic uh, literary genre. Some people do more of the watchdogs, morality. Some people do different, there's the different branches, right? Sometimes they follow all philosophy, all of the tenets of cynicism like crates and diogenes. You know what I mean? And then we talked about Onesicrates, right? He's kind of that one principle of, of cynicism that's like being a wanderer and a cosmopolitan, right? Well, more a wanderer. And cosm- Adam wouldn't say cos- cosmopolitan. That's kind of a cynicism. Cynic cosmopolitanism is different, you know what I mean? But 
that's what this author was uh, critiquing cynicism. Like it seems more like versus versus what though? Versus stoicism. Stoicism has a school. Stoicism has a very exact dogma, right? They have the stoic egg. You have to learn physics. You have to learn logic. You have to learn ethics. There is a place to actually go for stoicism. There is a building. Whereas cynicism, it's like hmm, there is no school. Sometimes it is an attitude. Sometimes you know they have that debate. Different people debate it, so it depends who you ask. Some people are just like, yeah, it is a real philosophy. Some people are like, hmm, it's an attitude. Some people are like, hmm, it's just loose principles. I wouldn't agree with that. I think it's, I think it, I would still call it a philosophy. Mm-hmm. I mean, philosophy de- means different things for different people. But it's interesting how he sees it that way, that way as being loose principles. But it is true that you can't really go to a school for uh, cynicism. Hey, we can change that, right? Start a school for cynicism. But I think, I mean, that was part of what it was, right? Yeah, that's the thing, though. It was meant to be that way, to have no theory. So it's accessible to everybody. So, in a sense, I think it made it did a really good job of it because it survived for a long time for that reason, right? You don't have to go to a school. You you emulate. That's the cool part about cynicism. You emulate the other cynics. You know what I mean? You emulate Diogenes. I mean, emulate the good stuff, right? Or Crates. Or, I guess, Antisthenes, if you consider him a cynic, Right? That's how they um, survive, right? Because they're emulating different historical figures from the past rather than following a, a document or a school or books. So that's why, again, that's the power of cynicism. It's so simple, but it's so powerful. It's very accessible. And it's, I mean, maybe it was never intended to be, but yeah, it's adaptable I to, think it, to the times. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because I mean, even, sh- I mean, even shameless. I mean, I I think the shamelessness is. I mean, some people think it's shameless just to um, ignore someone's title, right? Kind of like Diogenes with Alexander yeah, the Great. So yeah, exactly. It depends. So there's certain. I mean, there's extreme extremes of shamelessness that maybe stand out more, that look more, seem to be more going against what normal people would want to do. Like pooping on the street, that was like it's too far, too shameless. Like no one wants to see that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm, yeah, but I mean, even there's other ways to be shameless. Maybe exposing yourself, not <laughs> exposing, not exposing. Oh, okay, that, okay. I was like, thinking about taking like, taking off the robe. <laughs> not that, <laughs> not like flashing, but like exposing certain things about yourself. Just putting it out there that maybe people would look down on. But it's still oh, true. I get what you mean. Like being, yeah, that's some. Uh, I remember that's parisia, which is um in cynicism, uh, the tenets we talked about that, which is free speech and frankness. Yes, like they purposely are direct and they're like um, unfiltered, so they can kind of attract people who are, I guess, strong enough. And that that happens all the time today. You kind of weed out people who are. Um, yeah, so I guess strong, mentally strong enough. Not people who are just going to get offended very quickly and run away. You know, people, oh, he said that about this? I'm not going to be friends with him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, he doesn't know, the author here, 
he which is um his name is Zachbach. It's in the it's in the description by the way. He doesn't only talk about cynicism in a bad light, but he says about he says this specifically: to be good is all that matters. To be good brings happiness. To be wise, that is to know how to act, makes one good. One ought to live naturally and freely, but these are and he said these are isolated principles rather than a philosophical system. But these are good principles, regardless. Though, regardless if you think it's a philosophy, they're good principles. You know what I mean? If anybody's watching this, I think there's something applicable to that, right? Um, unsatisfied, in my opinion, Zeno became a student with um crates. I think probably he was naturally curious. That's why I say unsatisfied. That's probably why he went to be uh to learn from other people, right? Because cynicism, he's like, hmm, it's so simple, and it's good. And it's a good way of living and acting and having it as an attitude. But I do want to learn about other stuff, like maybe natural philosophy. So maybe I don't think it was a falling out, but more like he wanted to learn more, right? Just a naturally curious person. That's what I'm thinking. That's why he incorporates physics, right? And he went, he became a student of Polemeo a successor of the most prestigious academy for philosophy at the time. It was called the, the Academy. It was in Athens. Uh, here, he will have to. He, he would have known about Plato's views, and he probably would have modified and developed and organized right by the successors of um, Plato, because it was Plato's Academy, right? So that's probably where, the, where he got the more interest in physics, in my opinion, because Plato, inter- Plato was interested in that... Um, Remember we talked about, of all the Socratic ideas, Plato was very interested, I think, from what I heard, in, in like uh, more of the metaphysics of Socrates' teachings. Socrates is mostly known for his ethics, but I know he talked a little bit about kind of the metaphysical, I guess, natural science a little bit. He talks about the soul, which is something Plato was more interested in, and Tisthenes was more interested in like ethics. So that's my opinion. This time at the Academy is when I feel Zeno's main listening background was... I think it maybe washed out a bit, but it was still there. So it's kind of st- it's kind of an, a weird mixture of cynicism slash stoicism slash some of this other stuff. But it's still like, there. I think, you know, for this... Uh, for this final session, I think we should go to stoic ethics because I think this is where I draw the line, I, I guess, a bit with the... Cynic ethics, logic, these two systems, and we will probably do eventually a cynicism compare and contrast episode with stoicism, you know, eventually. I don't want this to to be too much of a stoicism episode because they're gonna talk about like stoic physics and all that, and then and then I think this is more about the cynic aspect of Zeno, which is the ethics parts. Cynicism never usually in the past and even after in the Roman times, they never talk about like this physics stuff. It's not like part of the the philosophy. Whereas in Stoicism, it is important. You need to learn about it, right? It's part of the egg. But um, yeah, let's just keep talking about the ethics part. Um, Zeno is reputed to have listened also to Diodorus Cronus and to Stilpo, leader of the Megarian school who were greatly interested in logical puzzles and the invention of arguments that seemed to lead to paradoxical conclusions. It was, however, probably not this 
not this that attracted Zeno, who later found the principal merit of logic in its ability to show the falsity of such constructions. Now, when I hear that, I guess from a cynical perspective, it sounds like something Diogenes would, very cynic-like, where you learn stuff just to, like, prove it wrong. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, they will learn physics. They will learn these certain things just so they can prove, use it as either disprove it itself, like the actual, like, you know, reasons to learn it. Like, this is such a stupid, like, thing. Why Why would I want to learn this, right? But also, I think, to use it, like, as ammo, eventually, if they want to disprove whatever some logical paradox somebody talked about. I think Diogenes was, forgot the story, but I remember he, he knew a little bit about physics. Maybe it's because he was, he was educated. He was rich, younger, so he probably knew a little bit about natural philosophy slash, like, proto-physics. So then that he used it just so he can make a better argument and, like, show someone wrong, Right? So it seems like Zeno, that's my interpretation, right? Okay. Um, Stilpo's moral teachings, which is not unlike that of cynics. He saw that the wise man as entirely self-sufficient, needing no friends, quite independent and exter- independent of external possessions. No one could take away f- from his wisdom, and he was unaffected by the misfortunes and other men would count as evils. So when I hear this, I I actually am thinking it's more cynic than I mean stoic than cynic because you know in stoicism they put a big the because you know stoics and cynics they both believe in indifference right but it feels like the the indifference and cynicism no I mean it's pretty much the same actually right cynics believe that you should be indifferent right meaning that meaning indifferent to um, tragedy right so if a tragedy happens like stay strong be indifferent. Don't let it rule over you, right? It's kind of like Hercules, right? That Hercules is the um, the poster boy for cynicism because he's indifferent. Despite all this bad stuff happening to him, it's not going to let him down. He's going to keep going on, and, and even though he is a demigod, still uh, push through. And that that part, that indifference, kind of translates to Stoicism very similarly. Like Stoics believe. There are some things out of your control, right? So those things that are out of your control, you know, you should be indifferent to that. You should be focusing on what you can control instead of what you cannot control, right? Kind of like the shipwreck, if that is true. If it, if there was a shipwreck, it's like, what else can you do, right? You can't. You're not a god. You can't control the storms. So that cynicism, that indifference part of cynicism, feels like it translated neatly into his new philosophy. That's what I'm trying to say. That's why I'm, I'm considering him. He still seems like a cynic, but he's just adapting it. Maybe it's wishful thinking, but I think it's like what we were talking about, right? You're going to take the good stuff from some idea, um, system or philosophy and adapt it, ad- adapt it, right? I think that's kind of something practical. Um, I also find it interesting that Zeno found the merit of logic and its ability to show the falsehood of constructions I think maybe because in a way he's maybe he's trying to be a watchdog of logic and trying to hound people the errors of his way as well. So it feels like there is already, I can see it. And eventually we should do a video on this. The stoicism versus cynicism. Because, you know, the tenets of stoicism are living in agreement with nature as well. Did you know that? But it's just like, 
it's slightly different. It's like living in agreement with nature and cynicism is more like living in agreement with your nature, which is actually sounds very similar now that I think about it. Living in agreement with your nature and then the nature of a human being is to be logical. Whereas in Stoicism, the living in agreement, agreement with nature seems more like living in agreement with your role in the universe. That's your nature. And the role in the universe, that's what I read. Your role in the universe is to be a logical, um, good human being. It's kind of weird. It's like, it sounds very similar, but it is slightly different. So there is stoic indifference. There is stoic living in agreement with nature. But I guess the watchdogs aspect is something maybe it's unique to Zeno. Because I don't really, I don't see it in other stoics as being something important to them. For the cynics, it's, it, it feels like, it, and that's why they call them cynics, right? Because they're dogs. It's important. That aspect is very important to them. Because if you want to be a good human being, you got to do that, right? You have to be outspoken and tell people they're wrong. But um, um I'm curious what Forum thinks. Because maybe someone in, in, in the Forum is more of a Stoic. With all of this, I mean, my only question is, like, what's the reaction to pushback? What do you mean to pushback? Just like, no, that's, you're wrong. I heard, like, um, other philosophies saying that, yeah, you got it all wrong. That's not how you should live your life. Kind of that thing. No, like if you if you are following just watchdog principles, even cynics way way back when, mm-hmm. if you're calling people out on whatever it might be, and they just say no, that's not right, mm-hmm. right back at you. Well, yeah, they would probably get into a debate. I assume they would probably get into a debate. Maybe they'd fight with their uh, togas off and then <laughs> you, and then slap each other with some sticks. But how? There has to be, it's, a, it's like maybe missing something or not addressing something. Not I, addressing the, the pushback. You can call people out all you want, but how do you address the pushback? How would you address it? Uh, I th- personally think with some people you can't, it's very unlikely that you can actually deal or reason with them. Well, from what I heard, I don't want to say the majority, I, but some people you cannot. Not sure. I think I think maybe it depends on the person, really, their personality. Because I think for Diogenes, it, it depends on the person. I think for Diogenes, maybe he was a lot, a lot more aggressive, and he maybe got into the combative debate style, maybe. But then Kratos is a little bit more warmer, and he's trying to. I wish there was more. Yeah. More, I mean, historical evidence to kind of show how that played out. Rather, because it seems like so cut and dry. He just called him out and that was kind of it. Maybe he got kicked out, but that was it. Yeah, right. But, you know, um, I know the Epicureans. There's another school of philosophy, the Hellenistics. There's got to be They also used to back and forth. They used to argue with um, the Stoics, the Epicureans. They used to be the uh, rival schools. I don't know too much about the um, exchanges between the Stoics and the Epicureans. But I know the Epicureans did not like the Stoics, and they didn't think their teachings were right. But they did agree on certain things. Like there was a crossover, for the most part, at least. That the one thing that they um, agreed upon was that if you want to be, um, that you you must to be happy, you have to train physically and mentally. That's like the only like crossover. I think even now people can agree with that. Like if you want to be healthy, you got to exercise, right? 
not all. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> They're not all. Never mind, right? But I mean, most people who are healthy are going to say that, right? Who are doing. <laughs> I saw some. We shouldn't, we, some we shouldn't bring this up. We shouldn't bring this up now. Working out. What was it? Oh, wasn't it like some kind of like supremacy or something? Working out? Yeah. <laughs> something like that. Well, yeah. <laughs> That's for another day. For uh, maybe um, our new segment with the grapevine we should talk about that but that's but if, yeah like if you said someone, there, w- if there will be backlash if someone's counterpoint is so illogical <laughs> but yeah um there are probably some d- notable debates i'd have to look it up i know more about their principles and the evolution of it and the inspiration but, of it but i don't know much about whether or not how this um how the other schools like how they handled it you know yeah but that's, but, it, but i do know that epicureans did not like the stoic from what i heard it, yeah it's just, just the pushback from people like that who are almost so illogical to where like i don't work out because some ridiculous point because it's tied to some standard that so, i so don't agree to supremacy it could be supremacy i don't even know, i'm not even sure if that's what it was but some standard that like Oh, why do I have to follow in with this standard? Well, it's just about health. I mean, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's to be healthy. I mean, it's uh, kind of a science. I, yeah, mean, I don't need to be work out to be healthy. Well, you need some form of exercise. You don't use well. It's just basic biology, really. <laughs> Pretty much. I mean, humans have been exercising for all their life. I mean, we used to be hunter gatherers. Sitting down all day is not going to be good for your bones. Yeah, or your, or so your heart. Like the I mean. Certain things, kind of dealing with certain individuals, there's no point. But I know the Epicureans, they disagreed because I think the Stoics, they, from, uh, I don't know too much about the Epicureans. Let me try to, somebody in the forum, please correct me or comment on one of our our Discords or Twitter or DM us if you want to correct us. But I remember that the Epicureans used to, they, because most philosophies in the Hellenistic times, they have that edemonia, the flourishing aspect of it, right? If you follow this philosophy, you will flourish. So for for the the cynics, the edemonia usually is, um, oh, doing all this stuff, right? Following all the tenets, like living in accordance with nature, being living freely, carefree, happiness, wisdom, all that. Then you'll become like, kind of like in Buddhism, there is the nirvana, right? When you follow all these principles, you'll reach nirvana, enlightenment. A flourishment. Mm-hmm. So for the cynics and, and stoics, it was following all these tenets and then living in accord with nature, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, then you'll become, you'll reach edamonia, happiness, um, fulfillment. But for the Epicureans and the like, for example, the hedonists, right? They were, yeah, definitely they they would disagree, and I know they would debate because the stoics and the cynics. Obviously, the Stoics, they follow the cynics, right? And then the cynics, they um, use Hercules as their, as their model, right? That if you want to be, want to reach enlightenment or nirvana or edamonia, then you should avert too much pleasure. It's an aesthetic lifestyle. I think that's what the term is, like kind of monkish. Like if you have to, because if you, you give into too much pleasure, I guess in the sense it's a like cardinal sin for the cynics and Stoics. That's the cardinal sin. Giving in to pleasure too much, then you probably won't reach edamonia, flourishment, because um, they have all different reasons, right? If you pleasure yourself too much, kind of like how some people are like no fap, 
Like you have to abstain from too much pleasure. Otherwise, you're going to off balance your life, right? I mean, if you're, okay, forgive me for my language, but I mean, if you're jerking off all day, I mean, you're jerking off three or four times a day, you're probably going to waste if you I mean, if waste you, some <laughs> precious time. If, if, <laughs> if, if speak. If you, yeah, because, I mean, jerking off is different than like if you have a, a partner. I mean, and also, by the way, um, yeah, no, but there's like, some, it's funny because now you're making me think of uh, middle school. Apparently this. Oh, no, no. You're think, making me think of that movie. Um, Wolf of Wall Street. How many times did you jerk off? I don't know. Three, four, five. Well, it's just like it you got to you got to put the, the environment. You're you got to put you got to push those numbers up. Those are rookie numbers. If you I at least jerk off <laughs> twice a day. One first time in the morning and then second before lunch <laughs> you ever well, seen that movie while they're having lunch yeah i've seen it <laughs> whoa, whoa, did, wait, did he say that did i don't he, know that'd be hilarious because they're having lunch because that means they would have yeah if you would have been jerking it's off right before like lunch I, I just finished but i think you're in there you're in a high stress environment where you're pretty much working probably 80 hour weeks minimum mm-hmm you don't really have time, so it's just like get so that, it out. In that sense, <laughs> get that evil out. Because there is that school. There is a school called the hedonist, right? And that's where we get that word, the hedonist, right? Somebody who they um, put a big emphasis on having as much pleasure as possible, right? But that's just creating the balance. Yeah, exactly. That's why I think that that's why we we consider this little arc. This is a mini arc, the founders, and then the other arc is the pillars, other pillars, right? Because cynicism is. It is a do is a good philosophy. It's it's a good. It's very dualistic, right? There's good and bads, right? Mm-hmm. That can that can um serve you in your in your uh, quest in life. But there's also, I guess, the hedonist part makes sense, and it should be applied carefully. Yeah, I mean, there's a difference. Sometimes between, you, there's a difference between Wolf of Wall Street, the jacking off he was explaining, and or jacking off, and, and you got to do homework. Jacking off. Four times a day, and you have you to do work to do, and you have a bunch of homework and you're stuff, and getting, it's piling up. You're getting distracted, and I've noticed we like keep talking about masturbating too much on this. <laughs> but there's a difference. One, but is, not, one is out of balance. One is to like create a balance. Not just in this episode, but just another. But Taoism believes in that, and Tao and balance, mm-hmm. which is something I like about Taoism. But um, yeah. Um, <laughs> now I'm, t- I'm thinking about jerking off now. <laughs> no i mean i'm not thinking of doing it but i mean I, you got that in my head all these like funny funny stories about when we were in um in middle school there's this fucking weird kid apparently i knew there was a kid who jerked off in, in during class i think his name was hugo <laughs> and then the teacher i think her name was like michaelowski or something oh shit it, uh, yeah michaelowski she'll know who we are because she'd be like yeah i know that's that school i used to teach at yeah, that um, she found him jerking off in class, and this was like in eighth grade. It's disgusting. Yeah, so it's like if you're that kind of person, yeah, I check heard, yourself. I heard about f- something similar at my school too. What? I don't know. If I thought it was this was true. an isolated thing. I don't know if it was true, but I heard about. And it. And apparently, that teacher, she um, she like had sex with my um, my uh, gym teacher in eighth grade, after I had left and and transferred to the high school. Which is not so far. How does it. that rumor spread? I don't know. <laughs> Somebody told me. Hey, you <laughs> two remember Michael? Teach, two teachers. <laughs> yeah, you remember Michaelowski? She's with Mister. Uh, 
Oh, they're like dating? That's different. They weren't dating though. No, they were, they, yeah, they weren't dating. Then how would they know? Not sure. I have no idea. I've had instances of teachers, classmates seeing teachers go into like a sex shop. You know, speaking of that, oh, wow. Speaking of that, I also remember when I was working at a restaurant, a busboy at like age 16. Um, so apparently there was two people that just got it on in the bathroom. This is a very high class restaurant, by the way. No, I'm not surprised. She just like. That, that happens. The guy's just like, boy, I better, I better get what I paid for because I had this salmon lobster dish that was like 300. That happens all the time. Yeah? Yeah. That's great. Yeah. I thought that was just isolated incidents. I. <laughs> the amount of in in China, oh really? The stuff at some of the bars. Hey, leave it for episode eight. That's an episode eight topic. Yeah, but, but you, defi- you can imagine bar bathrooms. Oh, bar. Okay, yeah, yeah, bar. Ba- yeah, that makes sense. But yeah, we were in a very high class restaurant. It's by the sea. It's um, I'm not gonna say the the location, but it's by the uh that marina by where I live. Yeah, yeah. I'm not surprised about that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's. <laughs> now I lost my place because I'm thinking. I'm thinking about <laughs> quaaludes, and I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about quaaludes come from. Um, Wolf of Wall Street. They oh, had. They, oh yeah, they're taking quaaludes. <laughs> so now you're making me think about quaaludes all of a sudden. I don't do that, but I'm just like. Oh, now I remember because that's the hedonist school. So they have a a certain um, yeah. They debated each other, and uh, I don't. We can talk about that one day. But I know the Epicureans, for example. Oh, not again. Oh, my goodness. <sighs> you know one solution to that, but you'll have to move this table? Just put it on the, at the end. Let me. <laughs> oh, my God. This happened. This is a cursed studio. And we're just about to finish the episode, too. Okay. Let me. Oh. I'll just hold it. Screw it. It's pretty heavy, this thing. And continue <laughs> without me for a bit, and I'll, I'll fix it. All right, so there's the... Uh, um, <laughs> it's always when the, when we're talking about the good stuff when this happens, but um, the hedon- the Epicureans, the idea in Epicureanism, from what I remember um, reading, uh, again, don't quote me on this. Look it up for yourself. Correct me if I'm wrong, but the Epicureans believe that you should abstain from pain and then for the hedonists, you should maximize pleasure. Pleasure, and obviously for the Stoics and Cynics, is uh, minimize too much pleasure, and then live in accordance with nature and yada yada. Right. So there, yeah, like you said, there is a lot of debates between the schools. So I don't know too much about how they would uh, debate each other. But um, let's move on to the next next uh, segment. Um, Okay, I'm gonna quote something from the pat from this um, book that is really really good and well well in depth if you want to know about C- uh, Zeno City and the first Stoics. So this is from the the Stoics, 1975, uh, Cornell Library. The Stoa was a public place where foreigners were. Okay, you know what? I'm just gonna wait for you. Okay, okay, okay. But anyway, um. This is a pretty good book, actually, and I'm thinking we should do a book review. Maybe we can do something, some kind of exclusive or whatever. 
It should never fall again. We've had some funny... Because I have it pushed all the way in. I realized that was a problem because of the, it's how the table's set up. You can't. <laughs> We've had some funny... St- fun- I'm curious <laughs> of what's going to happen when Matt comes. No, it'll be, it's, it'll it's, be fine. He's gonna I like, fixed it on that one, too. He's going to... I just hoped it wouldn't happen again, but it ended up falling off on you. He's going to break the uh, uh, chair, the couch. The couch just splits. It's funny because when they see our setup, they're going to be like, ah, that's why. It's very minimal. It's... It's not bad. It's... It's a work in progress. It's a work in progress, but um, come we got some donations set up. We got them set up now. Where did you set them up? I think they're set up on a uh, red circle. Oh no, I have never mind. We still haven't. Donations the, on red circle. I think so. Yeah, it says on there. I have to show you. Um, yeah, try it out if you if you can um, donate to us. That'd be nice. So we can <laughs> mix. Yeah, just try see if it works. <laughs> Please. <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> drop him yeah yeah i'll give it back to you <laughs> like the Just guy who st- stole my fishing rod <laughs> what rod what donation? what shimano <laughs> rod oh gosh the stoa was a public place where foreigners were welcome as citizens but he had athenians among his audience too when he died in 262, by the way, this is Zeno. He, Zeno died in 262. I've heard 263 as well. The assembly passed a resolution to honor him by a tomb and by setting up inscriptions in the exercise grounds of the academy and the lyceum, places of education as well as sport. The decree opens with the following words. Since Zeno of Sidium, son of Menseas, Menseas, has spent many years in the city engaged in philosophy and in every way has always shown himself a good man, and in particular by exhorting to virtue and good behavior, the young men who came to associate with him has simulated them to be the best of conduct, exhibiting as an example to all his own way of life, which followed what he said in his talk. Therefore, it has seemed good to the people to praise Zeno of Sidium, son of Menseas, and to crown him with a golden garland. And remember, Crates, Crates of, of Thebes was um, considered a um, the door opener, right? Because people liked him. So it seems that Zeno was also liked too. So they they called him, they gave him a garland. I don't know what the garland, what is a garland? I'll find out. Okay. I feel like it's a... Uh article of clothing or something some accessory let's find out but uh, yeah that's the the watch dogs aspect of the them kind of protecting morality and installing virtue in people like it's what they want because that's the kind of the optimist uh, looks like a wreath oh is it like a laurel like the, is it like a crown almost it eucalyptus garland it looks like like on Christmas trees that you wrap it around. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, yeah. So it's kind of like a... Do you wear it? I think you wear it, yeah. Well, I guess what I'm trying to say with this story is that it seemed that Zeno Osidium was kind of the crates of Thebes for Stoicism, right? People really liked him. And I, I'm curious about looking up this this inscription. I'm, uh, that'd be cool if we could do a video on it and show you guys, but uh, we don't know do how to do that yet. This testimonial need not be entirely disbelieved, even although the decree was proposed by one Thraso, the agent at Athens of Antogonus Gonatas, king of Macedon, who was an admirer of Zeno's, 
had visited him in Athens and vainly in, invited him to his court. A few months ago, a month before Zeno's death, Athens had surrendered to Antigonus, starved out by a long siege and the political independence for which she had struggled ever since the defeat of Charonea, 336 BC, had gone never to be recovered. Oh, by the way, um, that's the three zero. By the way, if you're still on with me, yeah, I know, I'm following. No, I just get distracted by the garlands. The garlands, <laughs> but yeah, and this is the the passage, by the way, from 1975. If if someone's not following, um, so the Stoics, 1975, uh, Cornell Library. Um, it seems like I'm gonna go back to the other the part where they were saying that the Stoa was a public place where foreigners were welcome as citizens. It seemed that maybe, I think the fact that he was Phoenician maybe had to do with it, right? He wanted people to feel inclusive and welcome. That's the one thing about cynicism that's good as well, is that it's a very inclusive um, philosophy. I mean, most philosophies now are inclusive, but before it was a little bit different, right? Philosophy for some, some were a little bit more elitist, right? And I think, yeah, maybe there is a racial component to it and probably wealth too as well. So... Yeah, it's kind of a little bit of cosmopolitanism. That's kind of cool how he just used to invite anybody can come here. And then if you're, yeah, just to learn philosophy. That's cool. Probably was different back then. But anyway, um, uh, let's move on. Stoicism is sometimes represented as a philosophy devised to form a refuge for men disoriented by the collapse of the system of city-states, a shelter from the storm. This is based on a mishap a misapprehension. The city-state had never given security, and it remained the standard of primarily form of social organization even after military power had passed into the hands of great monarchies. As a corrective, one may be quote, one may quote the words of C. Bradford Wells. It is a fantasy and perversion to see in Stoicism a new personal doctrine invented to sustain the Greeks in a cityless world of great empires. For Hellenism was a world of cities, and Hellenistic Greeks Greeks were making money, not worrying about their souls. Greece and Rome, 1965, page 227. I don't know how to interpret that. It's saying a lot. It's, saying <laughs> it's, a, it's touching on a lot. There. It's, he's touching on a lot there. But, you know, give us your your opinion on that passage. I mean, what do you, what I mean, he's, it, maybe what he's saying is, is that... Um, they were just being... Kind of, because it sounds like Stoicism was. They're trying to say at one point, maybe someone kind of proposed that Stoicism maybe his was for a um, is a anar anar anarchic. Was that the word? Is that what the word anarchic society? And then that that was, that was a cure for the city, the statelessness. Is Stoicism? That's why they consider a storm uh, a shelter for the storm. Because you know, Antisthenes, there is an analogy he used too. By the way, that you that the philosophy is a way of putting a fortress around you with logic. Does that make sense? Like an impregnable wall around you. So it sounds like somebody was um, trying to say Stoicism was a defense uh, against things falling apart. Yeah, which I think is true to a certain extent. So um, if that if he's saying that's not the case. But I think he's saying that not, that's not the case because during the Hellenistic times, there were still it wasn't super anarch, anarchic or whatever the word is, or um, s- stateless. 
So that's his rebuttal to it. That's what I'm thinking. Because, but I think personally, a lot. Of, I know, I know somebody personally, not personally, but um, he's um. Remember, whatever we can, we should have him on. He had a lot of during this pandemic, and the apocalypse and YouTube's new policies. He a lot of his um revenue went down because of it, and he had a lot of other bad shit happen to him. Uh, like who is this? Um, the, he's the guy from whatever this big com- comedy YouTube channel. He used to do the pranks. I knew a lot of people who were making more. Well, from from he had different. Also, his grandma died too. His grandma died, and his best friends committed suicide. So it was pretty hard for him that, and that's why he's been off YouTube for a while. And he was saying that stoicism was an antidote for that. He was reading Marcus Aurelius's um, meditations to help him kind of cope with it. I think in a way. Philosophy can be a tool to cope with things or to use the process to be to inspire you. It depends on the person, but definitely there's something to it. So if if he's if this um, I think what he's saying is he's uh, arguing against anarchy and the during the fall of the city states. I think that's what he the, that guy was saying. Um, in uh, Greece and Rome, 1965, page 227. His name was uh, well Brandon Wells. I think he's just trying to say that now people had stoicism because not because of like some kind of like because the monarchies came in and all that, be, the empires. So uh, let's, let's move on. But at Athens, political life continued active and often bloody during almost the whole of Zeno's times. What is true is that during the 50 years following the death of Alexander the Great, many Greeks left their own cities hoping it may be presumed to find a better life elsewhere. Many went to new lands of Asia. Men who were looking for a wider cultural life than their own towns could provide would be attracted to Athens. Almost all of Zeno's followers whose origins are known were of this this sort. They were people who, like him, had abandoned what rights and duties they may have had in their own cities, preferring the disadvantages of life as aliens, second-class residents, legally, politically, and socially deprived, but enjoying the stimulus of an intellectual ambience. So it's kind of like the cynics in that in that way. Like despite their kind of shortcomings and, and state in the world, they still want to have that luxury of coming and having, um, I guess, some kind of meaning in their lives. So it's very inclusive in that sense that anybody from any walk of life, good or bad, can come and learn. See, that that reminds me of a lot of people who, those types backpacker types mm-hmm. backpacker types going that people are going to sort of find themselves but kind of preferring it somehow you are disadvantaged you know you're advantaged and disadvantaged at the same time i know what you mean like they're willing to be they're willing to sacrifice certain yeah dreams for uh-huh that's something maybe we can talk about eventually because i guess kind of that's another topic of the psychology of backpackers? <laughs> I I mean, I just brought up backpackers because that's... It could be a lot of people who go over, overseas for a lot of different reasons. It means... I mean, I'm think When I interpret this patch of, from this part of the book, I'm thinking that people who were wanted to be Stoics were willing to give up, like, their leisurely... Because maybe in their own cities, right? Or towns that they left. They probably were... Maybe they were really rich, Right. But you know, in Athens, because I think at, at that time in Athens, it was racist and hierarchical. 
I don't know if that's the word, but you're going to be disadvantaged if you're not from there. You weren't born there. You're not their ethnicity, right? But they're so talking they, about leaving Athens, right? No, I think they they would leave to Athens. Yeah, and 33. Um, mm. Yeah, there were people who were would leave from their cities to go to Athens to learn Stoicism. Okay. Not to learn Stoicism, I, I, but... I read it the wrong way, actually. Yeah, yeah, but... um. I th- I think they're willing if they really like it like that place they're willing to um sacrifice something to gain something else. Okay then, for, for, forget my uh backpacker thing. Actually, it's okay because I was wondering why you brought up backpackers. <laughs> and I'm like, hmm. I read I read it wrong. I read it I, I read it as they were leaving to go other places, not coming into well, Athens. Yeah, but I'm my interpretation from this passage was that uh. If you're going to Athens and wanting to become a second-class citizen, then it means this philosophy is worth it. Yes. It seemed people really liked it. Yeah. It was very, it was something new and very interesting. But I guess you can still have the backpackers because sometimes backpackers, well, actually it's kind of the opposite because when you leave to a country. It would be the opposite. It, depend, it depends on what country you come from. So, I mean. Y- yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's Based on the perspective of yeah, which way you're going. But anyway, let's talk about Zeno's legacy. I think I, most backpackers do the opposite, though. Oh, they go to uh, countries that they're more privileged rather than less privileged. Yeah. yeah, usually. I mean, at least the people who go to China, to China and they're Westerners, they tend to have a privilege regardless. Even if that's something we could talk about eventually, I think. It's rarely the case that somebody would travel to a country that it's going to be you're going to be treated as a second-class citizen. And where does that happen today, really? People, like, claim it for certain places, but mm. the reality? I'm thinking, yeah, I don't want to make this too political or yeah. I have to talk about. <laughs> yeah, that's it, why I, I misread it because I said backpackers and it kind of brought up something else. Because if you go, I think the only one country you may want to go to that you might be considered second-class is maybe Saudi Arabia. If you're a woman. Ah, oh, yeah. Yeah. I guess it depends. If you really like that culture and you want to go there and you're willing to be treated like a second-class citizen because you dislike that um that culture, well, you're probably, yeah, now you can drive in Saudi Arabia. So apparently he's doing reforms, the the, the new prince. He's, okay, he let people, let uh, females drive now in Saudi Arabia and now he's doing like a, a reform in the par- parliament or something. Yeah, I've heard. They're making some... Changes. But still second class. Yes. Still, you would be at least if you're a woman. And in a lot of countries, your women are not treated equally like in some countries in the West, right? Yes. So that if, but some girls are willing to be okay, okay with that and go there because they want to um, reach the, see some culture that's very exotic and interesting and enriching to their there's, lives. There's definitely cases. So I could see that happening now, but I feel like back then maybe it was different because philosophy was. But what is it? What is it offering just besides the culture experience? I, I don't case? know. <laughs> I'm not a, I don't go there. And They're like self-subjugating pretty much. I don't go there. F- Sorry. Nope. I don't really go there. But maybe some Saudi Arabian here in the comments can tell me. Well, funny enough, the Saudi Arabians I knew to, in school and when I was in China, they always be like, no, I'm not going back. <laughs> yeah, no, really. I remember this guy, uh, Mukhtar, right? Yeah. 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 Mukhtar was like, soup. yeah, he had a different idea about that. I've I met 
Several as well. But maybe there's someone in the forum who can who's Saudi Arabian and can tell us what is there. I mean, some not just Saudi Arabia. Yeah, places. I just think that comes to mind just because women used to be not able to drive, and I think sometimes um, you think you still need a male. Maybe it's a maybe it's different now, but I think you need a male escort to go walk around. But that's for Saudi Arabian women, though. I don't know how, but even for a, an American woman. Mukhtar, yeah, he said he his sister couldn't go overseas without him joining her. He needed to have some, I don't know what he called it. But it's not a sponsor, but uh, like a, a guide or. Like but there's definitely, it. yeah, for some females who are going to Saudi Arabia, they're going to be some privileges they might have to give up might over there. I know that for a fact. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just like sometimes. I don't want to bring up China, but I was going to say some stuff, privileges we were, we were kind of had to, we can't, obviously we can't preach like we were, we can't hear, right? You can't preach religion in China. It's illegal. Can't talk about certain things. Yeah. So some people can't, willing to, can't criticize. Yeah. Some people are, are willing to risk or sacrifice some things. To a get, lot. A lot are. Yeah. There. So Zeno's legacy. I think he preserved the he preserved the best of Stoicism and Plato's teachings and created one of the the major schools of philosophy. And it's funny because Stoicism was so po- is so popular. It's crazy to think that something someone from two thousand years ago, if the stories are true, that he he just became shipwrecked and he decided to learn philosophy. Like, what would the world have been like if he didn't um, have that shipwreck? Or he was kept being a merchant. You know what I mean? The kind of the butterfly effect. But anyway, um, next episode is going to be a collab with our friend who uh, studied martial arts and philosophy in China. Um, his name is Mac. So stay tuned. If you're still here, by the way. This is a good time, by the way. One hour and 30, 30 minutes. Um, by the way, we're still going to be talking about cynicism and maybe some stoicism here or there. We're going to be kind of delving into different ideas. So maybe more language learning maybe more experiences when we were traveling, et cetera, et cetera. I don't know, whatever you want, uh, Dio, because I was talking a lot about cynicism and stoicism. But we still have the other pillars we want to talk about, right? We still want to talk about maybe pragmat- pragmatism, you know? Watchdog stuff. Watchdog stuff. Oh, yeah, definitely the watchdog aspects that were, I mean, the tech cynicism stuff. Yeah, that's something that maybe you guys would be interested in because – yeah, this is pretty much the last episode for this kind of like, I guess like arc. It's like mini. I mean, there's still the other arc, right? The other pillars we have to talk about, right? That that kind of uh, make up the bridge to like this kind of philosophy you are trying to make, uh, not make, but you know, uh, get people to know about. Which is yeah, I guess the watchdogs kind of rights that are being infringed upon, and then that's kind of why we got into cynicism and. Not really stoicism, but more more cynicism actually in this aspect. Why we kind of put an emphasis on that? Because that's one of the a lot of the ideas of watchdogs come from comes from cynicism, and then we want to apply that to um um stories we we want to cover on this crazy stuff that's happening with people's rights, and that's kind of where we started the podcast actually. So if you're interested in that, that's really that what this podcast is was supposed to be. But we wanted to make sure. People knew about the the philosophies and the ideas and these founding figures that inspired us in a way and inspired me at least. I don't know, but you deal. Some of the, I mean, I think a lot of the tenants already had kind of subconsciously. Subconsciously, 
I did too. And then funny enough, like I said in the first episode, like it, I subconsciously already had these a- ideas, but then I was like, hmm, there is actually a philosophy about this. Like two years ago. Oh yeah, it's been a year actually since I quit my job. But um, yeah, almost a year. But yeah, I had those subconsciously anyway before, but then learning about this philosophy and, and, and with this project, yeah, d- definitely ingrained it more, uh, I guess, in a way. So um, I'm going to go to outro, but um, yeah, I mean, what else can we say, right? Follow us on social media on uh, different platforms, Spotify. Well, pretty much at some point, if we're not already on a platform that you know about, We'll be on there, I imagine. Other than, I don't think we'll do Facebook. Wink, wink. Feel feel free to donate. <laughs> right, we gotta we gotta test it out, like we said, right? But we we we'll be doing a That's lot of the, alt tech. It's um, the cynic lifestyle, by the way, right? You give um, you didn't need donations. That's a true cynic. See, we're following what we what we preach. We should open a PO box to for people to send stuff <laughs> <laughs> people will well, i mean the most important thing is people uh, i want to hear your ideas i want to hear what your criticisms are um what you want us to talk about what you don't want us to talk well i probably will start still talk about it anyway <laughs> cynic indifference but um yeah reach out because we don't really know who our audience is they might be more interested in the i'm curious about the japanese guy Oh, the one, I think it's one <laughs> Japanese person. There's, if he's really Japanese or he's like an overseas uh, American. Or or he's um using a VPN or, or he's something. using a VPN. Yeah. But um that'd be funny. Um but I wanna know who our audience is really. Like what do they want to hear? What what do they like about this project? Um I'm calling out the Japanese guy in specific. And specifically <laughs> not the Romanians or the da- the Netherlands or the I'm curious okay, ne- the Americans, I don't know why I'm not caring about them. There was some, <laughs> but I'm very curious about the potential foreigners who are listening in. Well, I can tell, I can list them off. There was, um, I remember seeing it uh, on the analytics. Romanians, two Romanians, four Peruvians, from what I remember. Mm. Then people from uh, um, Peru wouldn't be a VPN. Oh, you think they're, they're actually Peruvians like listening to this? They it wouldn't be via what, v, what VPN connects to Peru? No, I don't know. I'm sure I'm sure they have servers, but I've never Japan is a common server to connect to on a VPN. Let me look this up. So Yeah, I don't see Peru on here actually. No. Um that'd be hilarious if he's just in the, the Machu Picchu. He's, <laughs> he's like, on the mountain. He's in the po- he's wearing a <laughs> poncho and stuff. Just listening in. Like, oh yeah, I like cynicism. What to do with his life. <laughs> it makes it makes sense. I wanna be a cynic now. Carry a staff. <laughs> I already have a poncho. It's a kind of a cloak, right? Um. Yeah, I'm curious about that the the Peruvians. Um, but um, YouTube is really the only place to see comments. I've noticed. But I'm hoping people can reach out to us. Um, email us on. Yeah, should we put a, out the email and they, they can email us or just do social media? Social, but yeah, yeah. Media but mostly, fine. yeah, just DM us, comment on an IG photo. You'll get a we, reply. We have art, yeah. Oh, watch we we ghost them. <laughs> Not you, just delete his comment. <laughs> we didn't like that one. Right. <laughs> no. right yeah, uh, we'll definitely reply. Yeah. We we'll definitely want to interact with the audience as much as possible. Yeah, because, I mean, we, if we want to, how do I say it? Uh, spread the message more, we kind of got to know who who we're spreading the message to. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of, who's it more palatable for? 
who is it might be more congenial with. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. But um, yeah, DM us. We might make a Discord. But um, um, check the description. We got our sources there. So if you want to do more in depth reading, specifically Diogenes Laertius, Lives of Eminent Philosophers, R. D. Hicks, E. D. Chapter One, Zeno. 333-261 BC. That's really more in-depth. We probably got some things a little bit too shallow. I mean, because we have a time constraint. We're only trying to do an hour. But if you want to know more in-depth about his life, maybe we didn't cover enough about it or the chronology was off, just go up and look at the sources so you can read more about it. You know, because maybe we might not make a video on or an episode on a certain aspect of his life that maybe you want to know about, know about or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, let's go out to intro. Or outro. See this packet. Parabellum. 